Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. In so far as Henry had a policy it was to generally push back on papal influence, increasing his own local authority. The 12th century saw a reforming movement within the church, however, advocating greater autonomy from royal authority for the clergy and more influence for the papacy. This trend had already caused tensions in England, for example when King Stephen forced Theobald of Beck, the Archbishop of Canterbury, into exile in 1152. There were also long-running concerns over the legal treatment of members of the clergy. By contrast with the tensions in England, in Normandy Henry had occasional disagreements with the church but generally enjoyed very good relations with the Norman bishops. In Brittany, Henry had the support of the local church hierarchy and rarely intervened in clerical matters, except occasionally in order to cause difficulties for his rival Louis of France. Further south, however, the power of the Dukes of Aquitaine over the local church was much less than in the north, and Henry's efforts to extend his influence over local appointments created tensions. During the disputed papal election of 1159, Henry, like Louis, supported Alexander III over his rival Victor IV. Henry was not an especially pious king by medieval standards. In England, he provided steady patronage to the monastic houses, but established few new monasteries and was relatively conservative in determining which he did support, favoring those with established links to his family, such as Reading Abbey. In this regard Henry's religious tastes appear to have been influenced by his mother, and indeed before his ascension a number of religious charters were issued in their joint names. Henry did found a number of religious hospitals in England and France. After the death of Becket, Henry built and endowed various monasteries in France, primarily to improve his popular image. Since travel by sea during the period was dangerous, he would also take full confession before setting sail and use auguries to determine the best time to travel. Henry's movements may also have been planned to take advantage of saints' days and other fortuitous occasions. Economy and Finance Henry restored many of the old financial institutions of his grandfather Henry I and undertook further, long-lasting reforms of the way that the English currency was managed. One result was a long-term increase in the supply of money within the economy, leading to a growth both in trade and inflation. 
medieval rulers such as Henry enjoyed various sources of income during the 12th century. Some of their income came from their private estates, called demersen. Other income came from imposing legal fines and arbitrary amercements, and from taxes, which at this time were raised only intermittently. Kings could also raise funds by borrowing. Henry did this far more than earlier English rulers, initially through money lenders in Rouen, turning later in his reign to Jewish and Flemish lenders. Ready cash was increasingly important to rulers during the 12th century to enable the use of mercenary forces in the construction of stone castles, both vital to successful military campaigns. Henry inherited a difficult situation in England in 1154. Henry I had established a system of royal finances that depended upon three key institutions, a central royal treasury in London, supported by treasurers in key castles, the exchequer that accounted for payments to the treasuries, and a team of royal officials called the chamber that followed the king's travels, spending money as necessary and collecting revenues along the way. The long civil war had caused considerable disruption to this system and some figures suggest that royal income fell by 46% between 1129-30 and 1155-56. A new coin, called the Orbridge Silver Penny, was issued in 1153 in an attempt to stabilize the English currency after the war. Less is known about how financial affairs were managed in Henry's continental possessions, but a very similar system operated in Normandy, and a comparable system probably operated in both Anjou and Aquitaine. On taking power Henry gave a high priority to the restoration of royal finances in England, reviving Henry I's financial processes and attempting to improve the quality of the royal accounting. Revenue from the demesne formed the bulk of Henry's income in England, although taxes were used heavily in the first eleven years of his reign. Aided by the capable Richard Fitzneil, Henry reformed the currency in 1158, putting his name on English coins for the first time and heavily reducing the number of moneyers licensed to produce coins. These measures were successful in improving his income, but on his return to England in the 1160s Henry took further steps. New taxes were introduced and the existing accounts re-audited, and the reforms of the legal system brought in new streams of money from fines and amercements. A wholesale reform of the coinage occurred in 1180, with royal officials taking direct control of the mints and passing the profits directly to the treasury. A new penny, called the Short Cross, was introduced, and the number of mints reduced substantially to ten across the country. Driven by the reforms, the royal revenues increased significantly. During the first part of the reign, Henry's average exchequer income was only around P.S. 18,000. After 1166, the average was around P.S. 22,000. One economic effect of these changes was a substantial increase in the amount of money in circulation in England and, post-1180, a significant, long-term increase in both inflation and trade. Later Reign 1162-75 Developments in France Long-running tensions between Henry and Louis VII continued during the 1160s, the French king slowly becoming more vigorous in opposing Henry's increasing power in Europe. In 1160 Louis strengthened his alliances in central France with the Count of Champagne and Odo II, the Duke of Burgundy. Three years later the new Count of Flanders, Philip, concerned about Henry's growing power, openly allied himself with the French king. 
Louis's wife Adele gave birth to a male heir, Philip Augustus, in 1165, and Louis was more confident of his own position than for many years previously. As a result, relations between Henry and Louis deteriorated again in the mid-1160s. Meanwhile, Henry had begun to alter his policy of indirect rule in Brittany and start to exert more direct control. In 1164 Henry intervened to seize lands along the border of Brittany and Normandy, and in 1166 invaded Brittany to punish the local barons. Henry then forced Conan to abdicate as duke and to give Brittany to his daughter Constance. Constance was handed over and betrothed to Henry's son Geoffrey. This arrangement was quite unusual in terms of medieval law, as Conan might have had sons who could have legitimately inherited the duchy. Elsewhere in France, Henry attempted to seize the Aubaine, much to the anger of the French king. Further south Henry continued to apply pressure on Raymond of Toulouse, the king campaigned there personally in 1161, sent the Archbishop of Bordeaux against Raymond in 1164 and encouraged Alfonso II of Aragon in his attacks. In 1165 Raymond divorced Louis's sister and attempted to ally himself with Henry instead. These growing tensions between Henry and Louis finally spilled over into open war in 1167, triggered by a trivial argument over how money destined for the Crusader states of the Levant should be collected. Louis allied himself with the Welsh, Scots and Bretons, and the French king attacked Normandy. Henry responded by attacking Chaumont sur Epte, where Louis kept his main military arsenal, burning the town to the ground and forcing Louis to abandon his allies and make a private truce. Henry was then free to move against the rebel barons in Brittany, where feelings about his seizure of the duchy were still running high. As the decade progressed, Henry increasingly wanted to resolve the question of the inheritance. He decided that he would divide up his empire after his death, with young Henry receiving England and Normandy, Richard being given the duchy of Aquitaine, and Geoffrey acquiring Brittany. This would require the consent of Louis as King of France and accordingly Henry and Louis held fresh peace talks in 1169 at Montmirail. The talks were wide-ranging, culminating with Henry's sons giving homage to Louis for their future inheritances in France, and with Richard being betrothed to Louis's daughter Alice. If the agreements at Montmirail had been followed up, the acts of homage could potentially have confirmed Louis's position as king, while undermining the legitimacy of any rebellious barons within Henry's territories and the potential for an alliance between them and Louis. In practice, however, Louis perceived himself to have gained a temporary advantage, and immediately after the conference he began to encourage tensions between Henry's sons. Meanwhile, Henry's position in the south of France continued to improve, and by 1173 he had agreed to an alliance with Humbert, the Count of Savoy which betrothed Henry's son John and Humbert's daughter Alicia. Henry's daughter Eleanor was married to Alfonso VIII of Castile in 1170, enlisting an additional ally in the south. In February 1173, Raymond finally gave in and publicly gave homage for Toulouse to Henry and his heirs. Thomas Beckett Controversy one of the major international events surrounding Henry during the 1160s was the Beckett Controversy. When the Archbishop of Canterbury, Theobald of Beck, died in 1161 Henry saw an opportunity to reassert his rights over the church in England. Henry appointed Thomas Becket, his English Chancellor, as Archbishop in 1162, 
probably believing that Beckett, in addition to being an old friend, would be politically weakened within the church because of his former role as chancellor, and would therefore have to rely on Henry's support. Both Matilda and Eleanor appear to have had doubts about the appointment, but Henry continued regardless. His plan did not have the desired result, however, as Beckett promptly changed his lifestyle, abandoned his links to the king and portrayed himself as a staunch protector of church rights. Henry and Beckett quickly disagreed over a number of issues, including Beckett's attempts to regain control of lands belonging to the archbishopric and his views on Henry's taxation policies. The main source of conflict, however, concerned the treatment of clergy who committed secular crimes. Henry argued that the legal custom in England allowed the king to enforce justice over these clerics, while Beckett maintained that only church courts could try the cases. The matter came to a head in January 1164, when Henry forced through agreement at the Constitutions of Clarendon. Under tremendous pressure, Beckett temporarily agreed but changed his position shortly afterwards. The legal argument was complex at the time and remains contentious. The argument between Henry and Beckett became both increasingly personal and international in nature. Henry was stubborn and bore grudges, while Beckett was vain, ambitious and overly political, neither man was willing to back down. Both sought the support of Alexander III and other international leaders, arguing their positions in various forums across Europe. The situation worsened in 1164 when Beckett fled to France to seek sanctuary with Henry's enemy, Louis VII. Henry harassed Beckett's associates in England, and Beckett excommunicated religious and secular officials who sided with the king. The Pope supported Beckett's case in principle but needed Henry's support in dealing with Frederick I, Holy Roman Emperor, so he repeatedly sought a negotiated solution. The Norman Church also intervened to try to assist Henry in finding a solution. By 1169, however, Henry had decided to crown his son young Henry as King of England. This required the acquiescence of Becket as the Archbishop of Canterbury, traditionally the churchman with the right to conduct the ceremony. Furthermore, the whole Becket matter was an increasing international embarrassment to Henry. He began to take a more conciliatory tone with Becket but, when this failed, had young Henry crowned anyway by the Archbishop of York. Becket was allowed to lay an interdict on England, forcing Henry back to negotiations. They finally came to terms in July 1170, and Becket returned to England in early December. Just when the dispute seemed resolved, however, Becket excommunicated another three supporters of Henry, the king was furious and infamously announced, what miserable drones and traitors have I nourished and promoted in my household, who let their lord be treated with such shameful contempt by a low-born clerk? In response, four knights made their way secretly to Canterbury, apparently with the intent of confronting and if necessary arresting Becket for breaking his agreement with Henry. The archbishop refused to be arrested by relatively low-born knights, so they hacked him to death on December 29, 1170. This event particularly in front of an altar, horrified Christian Europe. Although Becket had not been popular while he was alive, in death he was declared a martyr by the local monks. Louis seized on the case, and, despite efforts by the Norman Church to prevent the French Church from taking action, a new interdict was announced on Henry's possessions. Henry was focused on dealing with Ireland and took no action to arrest Becket's killers, arguing that he was unable to do so. 
international pressure on Henry grew, and in May 1172 he negotiated a settlement with the papacy in which the king swore to go on crusade as well as effectively overturning the constitutions of Clarendon. In the coming years, although Henry never actually went on his crusade, he exploited the growing cult of Becket for his own ends. Invasion of Ireland In the mid-12th century Ireland was ruled by a number of local kings, although their authority was more limited than their counterparts in the rest of Western Europe. Mainstream Europeans regarded the Irish as relatively barbarous and backward. In the 1160s King Diamate Mac Mercader was deposed as King of Leinster by the High King of Ireland, Terrid Backway Conchobar. Diamate turned to Henry for assistance in 1167, and the English king agreed to allow Diamate to recruit mercenaries within his empire. Diamate put together a force of Anglo-Norman and Flemish mercenaries drawn from the Welsh marches, including Richard de Clare. With his new supporters, he reclaimed Leinster but died shortly afterwards in 1171. De Clare then claimed Leinster for himself. The situation in Ireland was tense and the Anglo-Normans heavily outnumbered. Henry took this opportunity to intervene personally in Ireland. He took a large army into South Wales, forcing the rebels who had held the area since 1165 into submission prior to sailing from Pembroke and landing in Ireland in October 1171. Some of the Irish lords appealed to Henry to protect them from the Anglo-Norman invaders, while de Clare offered to submit to Henry if he was allowed to retain his new possessions. Henry's timing was influenced by several factors, including encouragement from Pope Alexander, who saw the opportunity to establish papal authority over the Irish church. The critical factor though appears to have been Henry's concern that his nobles in the Welsh marches would acquire independent territories of their own in Ireland, beyond the reach of his authority. Henry's intervention was successful, and both the Irish and Anglo-Normans in the south and east of Ireland accepted his rule. Henry undertook a wave of castle building during his visit in 1171 to protect his new territories, the Anglo-Normans had superior military technologies to the Irish and castles gave them a significant advantage. Henry hoped for a longer-term political solution, however, similar to his approach in Wales and Scotland, and in 1175 he agreed to the Treaty of Windsor, under which Rory O'Connor would be recognized as the High King of Ireland, giving homage to Henry and maintaining stability on the ground on his behalf. This policy proved unsuccessful, as O'Connor was unable to exert sufficient influence and force in areas such as Munster, Henry instead intervened more directly, establishing a system of local fiefs of his own through a conference held in Oxford in 1177. Great Revolt 1173-74 In 1173 Henry faced the Great Revolt, an uprising by his eldest sons and rebellious barons, supported by France, Scotland and Flanders. A number of grievances underpinned the revolt. Young Henry was unhappy that, Despite the title of king, in practice he made no real decisions and was kept chronically short of money by Henry. Young Henry had also been very attached to Thomas Becket, his former tutor, and may have held his father responsible for Becket's death. Geoffrey faced similar difficulties. Duke Conan of Brittany had died in 1171, but Geoffrey and Constance were still unmarried, leaving his son in limbo without his own lands. Richard was encouraged to join the revolt as well by Eleanor, whose relationship with Henry, 
as previously described, had disintegrated. Meanwhile, local barons unhappy with Henry's rule saw opportunities to recover traditional powers and influence by allying themselves with his sons. The final straw was Henry's decision to give his youngest son John three major castles belonging to young Henry, who first protested and then fled to Paris, followed by his brothers Richard and Geoffrey. Eleanor attempted to join them but was captured by Henry's forces in November. Louis supported young Henry and war became imminent. Young Henry wrote to the Pope, complaining about his father's behavior, and began to acquire allies, including King William of Scotland and the Counts of Boulogne, Flanders and Blois, all of whom were promised lands if young Henry won. Major baronial revolts broke out in England, Brittany, Maine, Poetol and Angoulême. In Normandy some of the border barons rose up and, although the majority of the duchy remained openly loyal, there appears to have been a wider undercurrent of discontent. Only Anjou proved relatively secure. Despite the size and scope of the crisis, Henry had several advantages, including his control of a large number of powerful royal castles in strategic areas, control of most of the English ports throughout the war, and his continuing popularity within the towns across his empire. In May 1173 Louis and the young king probed the defences of the Vexin, the main route to the Norman capital, Rouen. Armies invaded from Flanders and Blois, attempting a pincer movement, while rebels from Brittany invaded from the west. Henry secretly travelled back to England to order an offensive on the rebels, and on his return counter-attacked Louis's army, massacring many of them and pushing them back across the border. An army was dispatched to drive back the Brittany rebels, whom Henry then pursued, surprised and captured. Henry offered to negotiate with his sons, but these discussions at Gisses soon broke down. Meanwhile the fighting in England proved evenly balanced until a royal army defeated a superior force of rebel and Flemish reinforcements in September in the Battle of Fornham near Fornham in East Anglia. Henry took advantage of this respite to crush the rebel strongholds in Touraine, securing the strategically important route through his empire. In January 1174 the forces of young Henry and Louis attacked again, threatening to push through into central Normandy. The attack failed and the fighting paused while the winter weather set in. In early 1174, Henry's enemies appeared to have tried to lure him back into England, allowing them to attack Normandy in his absence. As part of this plan, William of Scotland attacked the south of England, supported by the northern English rebels. Additional Scottish forces were sent into the Midlands, where the rebel barons were making good progress. Henry refused the bait and instead focused on crushing opposition in southwest France, and William's campaign began to falter as the Scots failed to take the key northern royal castles, in part due to the efforts of Henry's illegitimate son, Geoffrey. In an effort to reinvigorate the plan, Philip, the Count of Flanders, announced his intention to invade England and sent an advance force into East Anglia. The prospective Flemish invasion forced Henry to return to England in early July. Louis and Philip could now push overland into eastern Normandy and reached Rouen. Henry travelled to Becket's tomb in Canterbury, where he announced that the rebellion was a divine punishment on him, and took appropriate penance. This made a major difference in restoring his royal authority at a critical moment in the conflict. Word then reached Henry that King William had been defeated and captured by local forces at Alnick, crushing the rebel cause in the north. 
the remaining English rebel strongholds collapsed and in August Henry returned to Normandy. Louis had not yet been able to take Rouen, and Henry's forces fell upon the French army just before the final French assault on the city began. Pushed back into France, Louis requested peace talks, bringing an end to the conflict. Final years 1175-89 Aftermath of the Great Revolt In the aftermath of the Great Revolt, Henry held negotiations at Montjoly, offering a lenient peace on the basis of the pre-war status quo. Henry and young Henry swore not to take revenge on each other's followers. Young Henry agreed to the transfer of the disputed castles to John, but in exchange the elder Henry agreed to give the younger Henry two castles in Normandy and 15,000 Orngevin pounds. Richard and Geoffrey were granted half the revenues from Aquitaine and Brittany respectively. Eleanor, however, was kept under effective house arrest until the 1180s. The rebel barons were kept in prison for a short time and in some cases fined, then restored to their lands. The rebel castles in England and Aquitaine were destroyed. Henry was less generous to William of Scotland, who was not released until he had agreed to the Treaty of Fairless in December 1174, under which he publicly gave homage to Henry and surrendered five key Scottish castles to Henry's men. Philip of Flanders declared his neutrality towards Henry, in return for which the king agreed to provide him with regular financial support. Henry now appeared to his contemporaries to be stronger than ever, and he was courted as an ally by many European leaders and asked to arbitrate over international disputes in Spain and Germany. He was nonetheless busy resolving some of the weaknesses that he believed had exacerbated the revolt. Henry set about extending royal justice in England to reassert his authority and spent time in Normandy shoring up support amongst the barons. The king also made use of the growing Becket cult to increase his own prestige using the power of the saint to explain his victory in 1174, especially his success in capturing William. The 1174 peace did not deal with the long-running tensions between Henry and Louis, however, and these resurfaced during the late 1170s. The two kings now began to compete for control of Berry, a prosperous region of value to both kings. Henry had some rights to Western Berry, but in 1176 announced an extraordinary claim that he had agreed in 1169 to give Richard's fiancée Alice the whole province as part of the marriage settlement. If Louis accepted this, it would have implied that the berry was Henry's to give away in the first place, and would have given Henry the right to occupy it on Richard's behalf. To put additional pressure on Louis, Henry mobilized his armies for war. The papacy intervened and, probably as Henry had planned, the two kings were encouraged to sign a non-aggression treaty in September 1177, under which they promised to undertake a joint crusade. The ownership of the Auvergne and parts of the Berry were put to an arbitration panel, which reported in favor of Henry. Henry followed up this success by purchasing La Marche from the local count. This expansion of Henry's empire once again threatened French security and promptly put the new peace at risk. Family tensions In the late 1170s Henry focused on trying to create a stable system of government, increasingly ruling through his family, but tensions over the succession arrangements were never far away, ultimately leading to a fresh revolt. Having quelled the leftover rebels from the Great Revolt, Richard was recognized by Henry as the Duke of Aquitaine in 1179. 
1181 Geoffrey finally married Constance and became Duke of Brittany. By now most of Brittany accepted Orngevin rule, and Geoffrey was able to deal with the remaining disturbances on his own. John had spent the Great Revolt traveling alongside his father and most observers now began to regard the prince as Henry's favorite child. Henry began to grant John more lands, mostly at various nobles' expense, and in 1177 made him the Lord of Ireland. Meanwhile, young Henry spent the end of the decade traveling in Europe, taking part in tournaments and playing only a passing role in either government or Henry and Richard's military campaigns. He was increasingly dissatisfied with his position and lack of power. By 1182 young Henry reiterated his previous demands, he wanted to be granted lands, for example the Duchy of Normandy, which would allow him to support himself and his household with dignity. Henry refused, but agreed to increase his son's allowance, but this was not enough to placate young Henry. With trouble clearly brewing, Henry attempted to defuse the situation by insisting that Richard and Geoffrey give homage to young Henry for their lands. Richard did not believe that young Henry had any claim over Aquitaine and refused to give homage. When Henry forced Richard to give homage, young Henry angrily refused to accept it. Young Henry formed an alliance with some of the disgruntled barons of the Aquitaine who were unhappy with Richard's rule, and Geoffrey sided with him, raising a mercenary army in Brittany to threaten poet Ou. Open war broke out in 1183 and Henry and Richard led a joint campaign into Aquitaine, before they could conclude it, however, young Henry caught a fever and died bringing a sudden end to the rebellion. With his eldest son dead, Henry rearranged the plans for the succession, Richard was to be made King of England, albeit without any actual power until the death of his father. Geoffrey would have to retain Brittany, as he held it by marriage, so Henry's favourite son John would become the Duke of Aquitaine in place of Richard. Richard, however, refused to give up Aquitaine. He was deeply attached to the duchy, and had no desire to exchange this role for the meaningless one of being the junior king of England. Henry was furious, and ordered John and Geoffrey to march south and retake the duchy by force. The short war ended in stalemate and a tense family reconciliation at Westminster in England at the end of 1184. Henry finally got his own way in early 1185 by bringing Eleanor to Normandy to instruct Richard to obey his father while simultaneously threatening to give Normandy, and possibly England, to Geoffrey. This proved enough and Richard finally handed over the ducal castles in Aquitaine to Henry. Meanwhile, John undertook an expedition to Ireland in 1185, which was not a success. Ireland had only recently been conquered by Anglo-Norman forces, and tensions were still rife between Henry's representatives, the new settlers and the existing inhabitants. John offended the local Irish rulers, failed to make allies amongst the Anglo-Norman settlers, began to lose ground militarily against the Irish, and finally returned to England within the year. In 1186 Henry was about to return John to Ireland once again, when news came that Geoffrey had died in a tournament at Paris, leaving two young children. This event once again changed the balance of power between Henry and his remaining sons. Henry and Philip Augustus Henry's relationship with his two surviving heirs was fraught, for, while the king had great affection for his youngest son John, he showed little warmth towards Richard and indeed seems to have borne him a grudge after their argument in 1184, 
the bickering and simmering tensions between Henry and Richard were cleverly exploited by the new French king, Philip Augustus. Philip had come to power in 1180 and he rapidly demonstrated that he could be an assertive, calculating and manipulative political leader. Initially Henry and Philip Augustus had enjoyed a good relationship. Despite attempts to divide the two, Henry and Philip Augustus agreed a joint alliance, even though this cost the French king the support of Flanders and Champagne. Philip Augustus regarded Geoffrey as a close friend, and would have welcomed him as a successor to Henry. With the death of Geoffrey, however, the relationship between Henry and Philip broke down. In 1186, Philip Augustus demanded that he be given custody of Geoffrey's children in Brittany, and insisted that Henry order Richard to withdraw from Toulouse, where he had been sent with an army to apply new pressure on Philip's uncle, Raymond. Philip threatened to invade Normandy if this did not happen. He also reopened the question of the Vexin which had formed part of Marguerite's dowry several years before. Henry still occupied the region and now Philip insisted that the king either complete the long-agreed Richard Alice marriage, or return Marguerite's dowry. Philip invaded the Berry and Henry mobilized a large army which confronted the French at Chateauroux, before papal intervention brought a truce. During the negotiations, however, Philip suggested to Richard that he should ally with the French king against Henry, marking the start of a new strategy to divide the father and son. Philip's offer coincided with a crisis in the Levant. In 1187 Jerusalem surrendered to Saladin and calls for a new crusade swept Europe. Richard was enthusiastic and announced his intention to join the crusade, and Henry and Philip Augustus announced their similar intent at the start of 1188. Taxes began to be raised and plans made for supplies and transport. Richard was keen to start his crusade, but was forced to wait for Henry to make his arrangements. In the meantime, Richard set about crashing some of his enemies in Aquitaine in 1188, before once again attacking the Count of Toulouse. Richard's campaign undermined the truce between Henry and Philip and both sides again mobilized large forces in anticipation of war. This time Henry rejected Philip's offers of a short-term truce in the hope of convincing the French king to agree a long-term peace deal, but Philip refused to consider Henry's proposals. A furious Richard, however, believed that Henry was stalling for time and delaying the departure of the crusade. Death the relationship between Henry and Richard finally dissolved into violence shortly before Henry's death. Philip held a peace conference in November 1188, making a public offer of a generous long-term peace settlement with Henry, conceding to his various territorial demands, if Henry would finally marry Richard and Alice and announce Richard as his recognized heir. Henry refused the proposal, whereupon Richard himself spoke up, demanding to be recognized as Henry's successor. Henry remained silent and Richard then publicly changed sides at the conference and gave formal homage to Philip in front of the assembled nobles. The papacy intervened once again to try to produce a last-minute peace deal, resulting in a fresh conference at La Ferte Bernard in 1189. By now Henry was suffering from a bleeding ulcer that would ultimately prove fatal. The discussions achieved little, although Henry is alleged to have offered Philippe that John could marry Alice instead of Richard reflecting the rumors circulating over the summer that Henry was considering openly disinheriting Richard. The conference broke up with war appearing likely, 
but Philip and Richard launched a surprise attack immediately afterwards during what was conventionally a period of truce. Henry was caught by surprise at Le Mans but made a forced march north to Alencon, from where he could escape into the safety of Normandy. Suddenly, however, Henry turned back south towards Anjou, against the advice of his officials. The weather was extremely hot, the king was increasingly ill and he appears to have wanted to die peacefully in Anjou rather than fight yet another campaign. Henry evaded the enemy forces on his way south and collapsed in his castle at Chunin. Philip and Richard were making good progress, not least because it was now obvious that Henry was dying and that Richard would be the next king, and the pair offered negotiations. They met at Ballon, where Henry, only just able to remain seated on his horse, agreed to a complete surrender, he would do homage to Philip. He would give up Alice to a guardian and she would marry Richard at the end of the coming crusade. He would recognize Richard as his heir. He would pay Philip compensation, and key castles would be given to Philip as a guarantee. Henry was carried back to Chinon on a litter, where he was informed that John had publicly sided with Richard in the conflict. This desertion proved the final shock and he finally collapsed into a fever, only coming to for a few moments during which he gave confession. Henry died on July 6, 1189, aged 56. The king had wished to be interred at Brandmont Abbey in the Limousin, but the hot weather made transporting his body impractical and he was instead buried at the nearby Fontecroud Abbey. Legacy In the immediate aftermath of Henry's death, Richard successfully claimed his father's lands. He later left on the Third Crusade, but never married Alice as he had agreed with Philip Augustus. Eleanor was released from house arrest and regained control of Aquitaine, where she ruled on Richard's behalf. Henry's empire, however, did not survive long and collapsed during the reign of his youngest son John, when Philip captured all of the Angevin possessions in France except Gascony. This collapse had various causes, including long-term changes in economic power, growing cultural differences between England and Normandy but, in particular, the fragile, familial nature of Henry's empire. Henry was not a popular king and few expressed much grief on news of his death. Writing in the 1190s, William of Newburgh commented that in his own time he was hated by almost everyone. He was widely criticized by his own contemporaries, even within his own court. Many of the changes Henry introduced during his long rule, however, had major long-term consequences. His legal changes are generally considered to have laid the basis for English common law, with the Exchequer Court a forerunner of the later common bench at Westminster. Henry's itinerant justices also influenced his contemporaries' legal reforms. Philip Augustus' creation of itinerant bailey, for example, clearly drew on the Enrician model. Henry's intervention in Brittany, Wales and Scotland also had a significant long-term impact on the development of their societies and governmental systems. Historiography Henry and his reign have attracted historians for many years. In the 18th century the historian David Hume argued that Henry's reign was pivotal to creating a genuinely English monarchy and, ultimately, a unified Britain. Henry's role in the Becket controversy was considered relatively praiseworthy by Protestant historians of the period, while his disputes with the French king, Louis, also attracted positive patriotic comment. 
in the Victorian period there was a fresh interest in the personal morality of historical figures and scholars began to express greater concern over aspects of Henry's behavior, including his role as a parent and husband. The king's role and the death of Becket attracted particular criticism. Late Victorian historians, with increasing access to the documentary records from the period, stressed Henry's contribution to the evolution of key English institutions, including the development of the law and the exchequer. William Stubbs analysis led him to label Henry as a legislator king, responsible for major, long-lasting reforms in England. Influenced by the contemporary growth of the British Empire, historians such as Kate Norgate undertook detailed research into Henry's continental possessions, creating the term the Orngevin Empire in the 1880s. Twentieth-century historians challenged many of these conclusions. In the 1950s Jacques Bussard and John Jolliffe, among others, focused on the nature of Henry's empire. French scholars in particular analyzed the mechanics of how royal power functioned during this period. The Anglocentric aspects of many histories of Henry were challenged from the 1980s onwards, with efforts made to bring together British and French historical analysis of the period. More detailed study of the written records left by Henry has cast doubt on some earlier interpretations. Robert Eton's groundbreaking 1878 work tracing Henry's itinerary through deductions from the pipe rolls, for example, has been criticized as being too certain a way of determining location or court attendance. Although many more of Henry's royal charters have been identified, the task of interpreting these records, the financial information in the pipe rolls and wider economic data from the reign is understood to be more challenging than once thought. Significant gaps in historical analysis of Henry remain, especially the nature of his rule in Anjou and the south of France. Popular culture Henry II appears as a character in several modern plays and films. The King forms a central character in James Goldman's 1966 play The Lion in Winter, set in 1183 and presenting an imaginary encounter between Henry's immediate family and Philippe Augustus over Christmas at Chinon. The 1968 film adaptation communicates the modern popular view of Henry as a somewhat sacrilegious, fiery and determined king although, as Goldman acknowledges, Henry's passions and character are essentially fictional. The Lion in Winter has proved an enduring representation of Henry, being remade in 2003 for television. Henry also appears in the play Beckett by Gina Nui, filmed in 1964. Once again, however, the character of the king is deliberately fictitious, driven by the need for drama between Henry and Beckett in the play. The Beckett controversy also forms the basis for T.S. Eliot's play Murder in the Cathedral, where the tensions between Henry and Beckett form the basis both for a discussion of the more superficial events of Beckett's death, and Eliot's deeper religious interpretation of the episode. Ancestry <laughs> 